You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, so as Matt said, today we're talking about creation and fall, right? The gospel can be understood as a promise for you, what God has done in and through Jesus Christ for you. But it can also be understood as a story. So that's kind of what we're starting out with today, creation and fall. Next week, redemption, restoration. Um, so basically, I guess what we're doing is we're, we're kind of considering theologically Genesis 1 through 3, the first two chapters of the Bible. Um, now in Christianity, and this is, this may not sound like that drastic of a statement or that crazy of a statement, but this is really polemical in our religious American day. Um, in Christianity, we believe that God makes himself known to us. In fact, in a real sense, that's actually very different from pop American religion, right? Which is basically about the distant God that we try to climb to and find. But in Christianity, the gospel says God makes himself known to us and to, to you. Um, so which God do we believe in? Well, if you can now look at that one sheet of paper, and this is really our theology, and it underpins everything from creation to um, redemption to restoration, what you will see next week. So I quoted from Romans 4, 13 through 17. And it's just kind of this offhand statement that Paul is making. So Paul is trying to come to terms with the Old Testament and the promise revealed in Jesus Christ. And he's sort of, so he's talking about Abraham, the character from the Old Testament. And he just makes this offhand statement, but it's loaded with rich theology. So I bolded it. Um, verse 17. So as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That's what God says to Abraham in the presence of the God, which God, the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Right. So this is I mean, our doctrine in in Christianity, our doctrine of salvation is actually our doctrine of creation. Right. Um, we believe that this God, this particular God who makes himself known um, is not the one that we climb to and find and reach. He is the one who enters into history. He is the one who um, uh, takes us from death to life, right? You see in the very beginning in Genesis, into the formlessness and the void, God speaks and creates. What happens in the New Testament? Into this world that is now thrown into sin and despair and disease, God speaks life into death. He raises his servant, Jesus, from the dead. He overturns death itself. That is, that is who God is. So, but the following thing we have to consider is in light of who God says he is, what does that mean for us? Who are we? Um, and that kind of takes us to, uh, to the John passage that I have there, John 16, 8 through 9, which is actually talking about us in sin. So Jesus says, and when the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So what is sin? Sin is us not believing in him. 
And so like putting all that together, so who is God, who is man, and what is sin? That's, those are kind of the three things we're talking about. So, so if sin is disbelief in God, then I think what we see in Genesis, what does it mean for us to be human? Who, who were Adam and Eve created to be and who were we created to be? Well, we were created to trust in God, trust in the God who, who speaks life into existence, right? We were to trust in him. So sin, and I'll say this again in a minute, sin is not so much um, uh, disobedience. Sin is actually a refusal to trust in this particular God who makes himself known, right? So, so again, the three things we're kind of thinking about today, who is God, who is man, and three, um, what is sin? And these all, these all come together. Um, let me look at my notes, make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait on that comment. All right, so, so let's, why, why does this matter? So that's kind of the middle section there. Um, so this teaching about who God is and who we are in Christianity, and this is, again, unique in our day if you listen to popular religion in America, um, there is a difference between who the creator is and who we are as creatures. It is good for us that we are creatures and yet, a lot of the kind of therapeutic religion going on in our day, um, it's, it's all about calling ourselves inside of ourselves, right? It's calling us to look within to reconnect with that divine spark within. And yet, and, and so you kind of see the sort of Gnostic, what's called Gnostic and maybe pantheist sort of leanings of our religious day. But over and against that, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of who God is, the doctrine of who we are as creatures says, no, 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 God is the creator and we are the creatures. And in fact, that means we receive our life and we receive everything from God, right? All right, so, um, so I said there differs from the growing spiritual but not religious and the pantheist-like spirituality of our day. And it reminds us too, so if this is who God is, if we were created, if we receive our life from him, we are not masters of ourselves. And in fact, that's probably more common, a common way of thinking. Uh, I mean, I even have that, right? We really think in our day that we are masters of ourselves, that we are crafters of our own story, that we are self-made. Um, I mean... You know, this always comes to mind. Uh, like a year ago, I saw a loft ad, and what was the what was the ad? Live your story, right? So, so everything in our day is sort of reduced to we are masters of ourselves. We can make ourselves. I mean, we even think about we think that way in the way we approach our jobs, our college education. Everything is sort of me curating and making and mastering myself. And yet this right here, Christianity says, we are not our masters. We receive every good thing from God, right? Um, all right, so secondly, I guess, provides the found, so this doctrine of creation provides the foundation and the appreciation for culture, your work, the body, and more. 
Um, right? Christianity Christianity does, doesn't ultimately promise a bodiless spiritual existence. It actually says that God has raised Jesus. It says that God is the creator of this earth and he reaffirms it when Jesus comes in bodily form and he raises Jesus from the dead and the promise is God is making all things new. We're not going to heaven uh, and playing harps, you know, in the sort of popular way of thinking about heaven. Um, and so, and that frees us, right? At, at a funeral, when we're facing death, that death, death is messed up, right? And we should say that as Christians, right? The body matters. And I think, I just want to say, like, there's so much more we could say about this, but how does that relate to your job? So say if you're a doctor and caring for the body or a scientist or an artist, right? Why do these physical things matter? Well, Christianity actually has something to say about that. And it actually appreciates creation. It's not a flight from creation. It says that the creation is good and God made it good. It was not made messed up. That is... That's actually not how it was supposed to be. And God is making all things new. That's the promise. And so we live hopefully in light of that promise as Christians. Um, so again, or, or the next thing explains that you as an individual and we as a society have a purpose. And this kind of goes with, um, you know, the workplace discussion to a, to our society that's neo-capitalist. Christianity asks, you know, so if you're in business, is your purpose as a human mainly for the maximization of profits? Or is actually there something, something deeper for your purpose? Provides the foundation for peace and justice in the world. Um, and I, I think this is, uh, this is where we can really speak into our culture that is increasingly rejecting Christianity yet it very much values social justice and social issues, right? We can, we can as Christians, say to people, um, you should at least want the doctrine of creation and Christianity to be true. If you're concerned about racial reconciliation and the values of all human beings, you should at least want this to be true, right? And I actually believe as a Christian, I actually find this more compelling, right? Because we actually actually believe that creation is not um, is not a product of chance or anything like that. Uh, it's actually the result of a God who is self-giving, who is loving, and at the heart of reality is love, right? And creation matters, and this physical world matters. And finally, as we're talking about sin, um, I really think if we have to be frank and face up to reality, and sadly, so much of the so much of the church and so much of the message we peddle is so therapeutic and moralistic that we actually don't have the capacity to face up to reality. What I often find is that when I'm talking with atheists and agnostics, um, uh, or you know, uh, they actually have a much they often they are much more honest about the reality of the world, and that ought not be. Christians have, the Bible is an account of reality. It gives us the spectacles to view reality as it is. And so Christians should be able to face up and say, yes, this world, 
there is something terribly and drastically wrong, right? This doctrine of the fall gives us that capacity. And so we should be able to face up to just how dark and desperate the situation is. And in fact, the sort of therapeutic religion that we often peddle, uh, it won't sustain you in the darkest times of your life. All right, so we have four minutes. Okay, well, basically, I guess I just want to say, I kind of want to summarize creation and fall. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking, like, let's, let's just kind of think about Genesis 1 and John 1 together. In Genesis and John 1, if we put those together, we really see... Um, did, I guess y'all don't have a Bible out. We, we don't have time. But basically, well, let me read this. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 2, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said. So here in creation, we don't have a just single individual monadic God. That's a, that's a Unitarian God. We have in the very first few verses of Genesis, we have a suggestion that God is the triune God of love, right? You have God speaking, the divine speech, the word, and you have the spirit hovering over the chaos, the formlessness, the void. And then if you were to go to John 1, you have basically, let me flip to it, you have kind of a theology of creation happening again. Verse 1 of chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Right. So you have, you have somehow the Word is God, and yet there's differentiation. Right. So you have two separate persons. So God was speaking his Word into the darkness, and then if you skip down a few verses a little bit later into, um, into chapter 1, you have the Spirit coming in to restore and make all things new, right? Um, so you have, again, a Trinitarian shape. So my point is, our salvation is basically a recreation. So we should appreciate the body. We should appreciate creation. And we see who God is. He is the self-giving God of love. The Father has always been loving his Son with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And in John, we see what God is calling us to do. He is calling us to trust in him. But it's not like in Genesis 1, this God made Adam and Eve to sort of... It's not like he was simply a creator ruler. You know, this is how we kind of think of it. Um, God is some sort of like single creator ruler off in the distance... And they were made merely to obey. And then they broke the rules, and then they were kicked out, and now God has to come in and fix things, right? That's kind of how we think of salvation. And faith is actually the fix for something. But that's not actually that. No, in fact, um, God's character from beginning to end is the self-giving God of love who goes beyond himself and creates in love. Um, and then, again in salvation, God is the self-giving God of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit going beyond themselves, reaching out in love to make all things new. 
So who is God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the self-giving God of love. What does it mean to be human? Um, we were to be recipients of this love and to share it with each other. We were made in his image and likeness. And what is sin? Well, it's simply distrust. It's not, it's not merely disobedience. It's a refusal to receive. And in fact, you know, you could begin to think about that. So our common sort of mastery of the self way of thinking in America, that's actually sin underneath that. Um, well, all right, I guess I'll read the Martin Luther quote, and then, and then we'll open it up for discussion. That was, that was a fly-through. I feel like we skipped over a lot. All right, so Martin Luther here says, and this is, this is in his commentary on Genesis in chapter 3 in the fall. He says, Satan first attacks man's greatest strength, faith in the word. Therefore, the root and source of sin is unbelief and turning away from God. Just as, on the other hand, the source and root of righteousness is faith. Um, yeah, and again, I, you know, I, I'm, I just was thinking I, on Friday night I went to see Mother, the, the new kind of horror film with, with my friends. I don't know if you're crazy enough to go see that, but it's clearly like a religious... There's a lot of religious elements. Um, and what we're talking about here, you, I, so, so that film, I think, in many ways is trying to critique Christianity. And yet, I think Christians ought to be able to say back, but that's not the God you're describing in that movie is not the God of Christianity. It may be the God of pop American religion, but it's not the God of Christianity. So, well... There's a, there's a quote we could read if we don't have any questions, but thoughts, questions, concerns? This is the awkward silence phase. <laughs> could you expand on, you, you said uh, atheists and agnostics always, almost always honest about uh, the world. Can you give an example about a conversation or something, experience? I just find often, and this is going off experience, I don't want to say always because that's not, but oftentimes I find, and especially here in the South, when you're speaking with atheists and agnostics, they usually have left the church, so they usually have familiarity with Christianity because most people have, uh, have some, had some sort of connection with the church. Um, they have usually found that the church has been dishonest. And I think as Christians, we ought to say that. Christians often in the South, because we're so steeped in a sort of therapeutic and moralistic culture, everything is so reduced to sort of my individual feelings. Um, I mean, for example, there's a popular, uh, I'm gonna go on record for critiquing it. Uh, there's a popular, uh, you know, uh, worship song, my God's not dead, he's surely alive, he's roaring like a lion on the inside, right? So so you see there, it's the resurrection actually isn't about Jesus being raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, it's about mainly Jesus being raised inside my heart, right? So everything, or not everything, but 
we have a tendency in America to so reduce everything into the inner, spiritual, and private. Um, so we kind of devalue creation in our thinking about Christianity. Um, and also, like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving your question. Uh, like, there's a, a new album by Father John Misty, and he grew up in an evangelical church home. And his rant against Christianity, he's just ranting against Christianity in his newest album. Um, and you really feel and sense that he's wrestling with the darkness of this world. And oftentimes when I'm speaking to Christians, there's almost like a fear of facing up to the darkness. Because we've so reduced everything to the individual, the therapeutic, the moralistic, you know, just whip yourself into shape. Um, we, we devalue creation, and we're also not frank and honest about the world, right? Um, Maybe when you don't trust God, you have a hard time being frank and honest about the world because it's too frightening to face up to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. you feel helpless, and then you think, oh, but I'm supposed to be good, but I can't be good, and that's, the, that's it. Right. That's where God needs And that's, that's a good point that you say it's frightening because I read a quote by Dorothy Sayers a couple weeks ago that was really good, the British playwright. She makes a comment that in in the church we're so off, she uses this word fear to describe ourselves. We have a fear of facing up to the darkness inside of us, so we actually don't want to question. So often we push questioning to the side, and we put up some sort of rigid structure. Um, because anyway, we're fearful, and Christianity, because of the doctrine of sin and the fall, uh, should lead us to be honest about the world. Something is drastically and terribly wrong. We can say that. And that highlights the restoration and the redemption all the more. Right? God's promise. The God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Right? Because our hope is not inside of us. It's in the one who promises to raise from the dead because he has raised his servant Jesus from the dead. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of stuff has the church lied about, or what do they think the church lied about? What, the, sorry, the, so that agnostics. Again. Like, well, I, there's no like specific. I didn't have a conversation last week or anything with someone who said I think the church lies. I just mean you can tell if if you begin to talk with people <coughs> and work through their concerns you can tell that they think the church is just dishonest about, just generally sort of dishonest and fearful about facing up to the world. Sorry, what were you so, I'm sorry to interject, but like hypocritical. I know a lot of yeah, people hypocritical. That, that Christians are so hypocritical, and like that's because you don't understand our, uh, you, your view of Christianity is this, you know, oh, earn your way to heaven and right. do good things, and then you look at the church and you're like, why aren't you doing this? You know, yeah. Sorry. No, that's a, that's actually like in, in practice, I think it works out where we often will just go to pat answers and we don't want to sit in the darkness and face up to it. So it's sort of like, well, and we, we, we just kind of go to spiritual cliches and phrases. Um, and in fact, we should just sit in the darkness and the hopelessness for a minute. Um, that's, I think, where atheists and agnostics often do that better. So, any other thoughts? Well, 
we got three minutes. Let's read a, unless someone else has something, let's, I'm going to quickly just read this, um, this quote, because this actually kind of goes in the same point. So this is from the book by Fleming Rutledge, uh, an Episcopalian minister in her newest book, The Crucifixion. So starting with sentimentality, the sacrifice of fools. She says, even with the conspicuous coarsening of our public life and the greatly increased fear of dangers that requires us to lock our doors, get burglar alarms, and keep our children out of the streets, we Americans remain a sentimental people. Flannery O'Connor defines sentimentality as a distortion in the direction of an overemphasis on innocence. After discussing the fall of Adam and Eve, she writes, Sentimentality is a skipping of this process, fall and redemption, in its concrete reality and an early arrival at a mock state of innocence. This early arrival is the key to understanding sentimentality. It is the lazy person's way of receiving data about life without struggle. It is apparently very important to us to believe in innocence. Such a belief is a stratagem for keeping unpleasant truth at bay. It is a form of denial. In light of these tendencies, we do well to remember how utterly untouched the Bible is by sentimental manipulation of any kind. This has been universally acknowledged by a wide spectrum of unbelieving critics who read it as literature. Beginning with the murder of Abel by his brother Cain, we are given a full picture of human non-innocence. We have seen so many Sunday school pictures of dutiful children in biblical garb that we forget how utterly unblinking the scriptures are about human nature. Far from being a collection of inspirational stories, the Old Testament is replete with unedifying R-rated tales of every conceivable kind of crime and villainy, much of it committed by men and women of God's own choosing. Well, it's 10.50, so sorry to stop. <laughs> You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.